This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, the source of my authority, the origin of my authority, the reason I have authority over sin and death and sickness and disease is because I'm a man. Not because I'm the Son of God, but because I'm a man. Folks, when Jesus was here on the earth, he was all human. Now, his spirit was of God, which means he was all God too. He wasn't half and half. There wasn't just a mixture of God and humanity in him. He was all man. But he was righteous. Just as righteous here on the earth as he had been with the Father before the foundations of the world. Just as righteous. And that righteousness had to create and had to provide benefits. That's what Abraham's blessing is all about. If man could live righteously, then he could be blessed in all the things God blessed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob with. The only way you can do that is by not being born into the law of sin and death, which he wasn't. So Jesus was operating here on the earth as a man. Why would he do that? Well, as we pointed out, the, the, the most important factor, it looks to me like, is so that he could be a sinless, spotless, worthy sacrifice for man. But I think there's another byproduct of this. I think there's another characteristic that we have to take into consideration. And that is, he showed us how righteous men were supposed to live. Because when you were born again, when you and I accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we were made the righteousness of God in him. So how does that righteousness show up? Well, if Jesus is an example for us, then it shows up by our words coming to pass in the things that pertain to us. Now, if we're going to operate as Jesus did concerning sickness and disease on the behalf of others, then it's going to take some more special anointing, meaning God's plan for us to do it. Now, what did Jesus say that we would do? Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, about verse 17, 16 and 17, I guess. Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. He gives five things. One of them is, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, he said, all power. First thing he said, after he said, all hail. Hey, guys, I guess that's what that means. But the first thing that he told them of importance was, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. You remember me asking before, what's changed from the centurion story? Here's what's changed. Jesus now has all authority on heaven and earth. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He has the keys of hell and death. He's broken the back of the law of sin and death so that righteous men so that men can first be righteous, be made righteous through his blood, and those righteous men and women can live on the earth overcoming and victorious over every aspect of the law of sin and death. Paul comes to this understanding. Jesus reveals this to him, and Paul comes to this understanding in Romans chapter 8, and he says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. That puts us in exactly the same position Jesus is when the centurion comes to him. Exactly the same. 
Exactly the same. The only difference is Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost with the power of God to heal sickness on behalf of others. But we're in a position where as a righteous human being, all men and women, as a righteous human being, being made righteous by the blood of Jesus, we have complete and absolute authority over the law of sin and death. That means that Jesus had to be operating here on the earth like Adam was before the fall. And if you think about it, Jesus being born into the world is exactly the same way that God created Adam and Eve in the garden. He fashioned their bodies, molded man out of clay, fashioned the woman's body out of a rib from Adam's side, breathed into both of them, and they became living souls. Righteous. Now, what was impossible to Adam and Eve considering and understanding the authority that God had made them to have considering the authority that they had over all the works of God's hands what could Adam and Eve not do here on the earth I'm not talking about the command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil I'm talking about just as in in a general sense Adam and Eve here on the earth created by God in his image and after his likeness Breathe their, the source of their life was the spirit of God that he breathed into them. They became living beings. What couldn't they do? They have authority on the earth. They do whatever they want to do. Nothing is out of bounds. Nothing is out of the realm of possibility. Nothing is impossible to either one of them because they were created by God in his image and they were righteous in spirit. What couldn't they do? That's the condition that Jesus is operating in in his earthly ministry. What couldn't he do? There wasn't anything he couldn't do. He couldn't violate God's word, but that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about the power that he had here on the earth, not because he was anointed with the Holy Ghost in power, but because he was a man in the image and likeness of God, born of the Spirit of God, just like you and I are. What couldn't he do? You can't find anything, folks. You can't find anything that's out of the realm of possibility. Jesus himself said all things are possible to him that believes. Now, who's he talking about being the believer? Well, he can't be talking about people that had been born again because nobody could be born again when he said it. That could only come to pass after he went to the cross and was raised from the dead. But even when Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3 under cover of darkness... Jesus said, in response to Nicodemus saying, we know you're sent from God because nobody can do these miracles unless God is with them. Jesus turns it around and says, you must be born again. Why is he talking about being born again? Because he's saying righteousness, the position that righteousness gives us with God enables the miraculous. Nicodemus may have thought that Jesus has jumped the track and gone on to talk about something else, but he hasn't. Nicodemus is talking miracles. Jesus says, get saved. You must be born again. Because the key to the miraculous is not just some ethereal power of God out there that you hope falls on you. The key to the power of God in your life, to be a victor in your life. Now, I'm not talking about ministering to others. I'm talking about the key to overcoming the law of sin and death and its consequences in your life depend on one and only one thing. Righteousness. 
Remember when they asked Jesus, I think this is in John chapter 4, but they asked Jesus, no, it's, uh, it's Mark chapter 12. They came to Jesus and said, by what authority do you do these things? They weren't arguing that he's doing them. He did things that nobody could deny. But the Pharisees, the, the rulers of the Jews, came and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And Jesus said, well, I've got a question to ask you, and if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. He said, the baptism of John, was it of heaven or was it of men? Well, what did John do? John went around telling people to repent, for the kingdom of God was coming near. The time was coming shortly for the kingdom of God to appear. Now, to the Jews, that meant the kingdom of God would throw off Roman rule or anybody else's rule from their neck. They would go back to being God's favored people, and they would rule the earth. That's what the kingdom of God meant before Jesus started teaching what it was. That's what every Jew thought was going to happen when the kingdom of God was restored on the earth. There were several times where people came to Jesus, different people came to Jesus and said, Master, good master, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. They thought that meant gain freedom from foreign rule. In their time, in Jesus' time, it was the Roman rule. But that's not what Jesus came to provide. That's not what he came to bring. So when, G when Nicodemus says to Jesus, we know that you've got to be from God because these miracles can only come from God and they can only come from somebody that God is using or God uses. And they knew that sinful people could not and would not ever be used by God. That's the way they understood it. You remember when the, um, the man that was born blind was healed and he was called on the carpet in John chapter 5. Following his healing, he was called on the carpet by the religious leaders. And they said, who did this for you? He said, I don't know who he was. And they said, well, give God glory, not this guy, because this guy is a sinner. And the formerly blind man said, well, he may be a sinner, but all I know is he laid hands on me. He told me what to do to regain my sight, and now I can see. He said, God doesn't use people that are sinners like that. So it became a real issue. They threw him out of the church, as a matter of fact. Because he wouldn't glorify God in the way that they wanted it done. He wanted to recognize Jesus, even though he didn't know who he was. He couldn't see him when, he first came, when Jesus first came to him. And Jesus had to appear to him at a later time to identify who he was. All this points to the same thing. And that is, righteousness is the key. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus during the time that he was in the heart of the earth. Jesus was born again, and he was raised from the dead. The Bible says he was raised from the dead when you were justified, when you were declared righteous. In other words, the price was paid, and God said, that's enough. Mankind is declared righteous because of the sacrifice of my son. Now there's only one thing left to do, and that is to accept what he's done for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. Come celebrate with us as we remember his victory over death in the cross. Bring your family and join ours this Easter at Foothill Family Church. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. 
To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We'll close with this. Romans chapter 8. Notice verse 1. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. This phrase, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, is not in the original text. It is in the original text down in verse 4, I believe it is. But this must have been mind-boggling to the translators because they took a phrase, this phrase, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. They took this out of its setting and put it in in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8. This should read, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Period. That's the end of what was said. That's the end of what Paul wrote before they divided it in chapter and verse. He did not say in verse 1 that walking after the flesh or walking after the spirit rather than walking after the flesh is a prerequisite or a condition for no condemnation. He didn't say that. Now, don't take my word for it. Study it out for yourself. You'll find that there are different translations that will put this phrase in parentheses and a little footnote saying not supported by the original text. So it should read, after Paul finishes telling us in chapter 7 about his own struggle with the flesh and how that he found himself doing things that he regretted or hated, that his spirit hated to be done, he concludes by saying, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. How is that possible? There's only one answer, and that is because you've been made righteous. Because you've been made righteous, because Jesus and the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can deliver you or me or Paul or anybody else from the work of the devil in us, Paul concludes by saying there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. You've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, by making Jesus the Lord of your life, and that really means something to God. I think it means less to us, maybe less in varying degrees, but I think it means less to us because we don't understand what really happened. But oh, thank God we're learning. So he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I want you to notice what Paul is saying. Just as he's identified and explained his challenge, his struggle with the flesh in chapter 7, he's saying because the blood of Jesus has made us free, even when we catch ourselves doing things that our heart, meaning our spirits, resent, even when we catch ourselves doing things that we know are contrary to the life of God in us, we still have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and therefore the law of sin and death has no power over us whatsoever. Now, there may be things in your life that, that contradict that in every respect. For example, somebody that's hooked on drugs or, or addicted to tobacco or drinking or whatever else, they may look at this and say, but it's the law of sin and death that pushes me to do these things that I'm trying to quit. Well, that may be in your flesh, but that doesn't change the fact that you were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your flesh may not line up with what the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus would do or what the lifestyle that you want to live, free from every addiction, free from every substance abuse or whatever. You may hate those things in yourself and in your flesh and in your life, just like Paul hated the things that he was doing that were wrong. 
but it doesn't change the fact that the blood of Jesus made you righteous. That's hard for us to comprehend. I understand how difficult the concept is to grasp. But it makes me aware of how much greater God's love and his ability to love is than we see in ourselves. I think we have the capacity to have the same kind of love and walk in the same kind of love. But boy, that takes some development, doesn't it? But God is fully developed. So nothing you have ever done, nothing you will ever do will put you in a position to be dominated by the law of sin and death ever again. You are free by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, meaning for a substitute for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Here's that phrase that they drug up into verse 1. It should be in verse 4. He goes on to say in verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 8, so then they are that are in the flesh cannot please God, but, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh. In other words, you meet the criteria of verse 4. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you, if you've been born again, if the blood of Jesus has made you a new creature. He says, now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ tells you what he means by the spirit of God. If any man has not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. In other words, if a man doesn't have the spirit of Christ in him, he hasn't been born again. And therefore, he, he is in every way subject to the law of sin and death. But that's not your experience or mine. Our experience is we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus through our new birth, through our new creation experience has made us free from the law of sin and death in every respect. In every respect. Now when Jesus, as the Bible says, as Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 26 and 27, as the Father has life in himself, so is he give the Son of his Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment in the earth because he's the Son of Man. What judgment did Jesus execute? What judgment did Jesus bring to the earth? Did he judge man? Well, in one place, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge you or judge any of mankind. The word will do that at the end. So he didn't come to execute judgment on man. What did he come to execute judgment on? Spiritual death. Every aspect of the law of sin and death that's operating in and against mankind in the earth. John said it this way in one of the letters he wrote to the church, 1 John chapter 3, I think it is. John said, for this purpose, the Son of Man was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus came to execute judgment on the earth, he didn't come to judge man. He came to judge sin. As a substitute for sin, we just read it here in Romans chapter 8. As a substitute for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he executed judgment against sin in the flesh. And he did that because he was a man. Living righteously because of the life of God on the inside of him. Living righteously here on the earth 
And when the Holy Ghost anointed him, then he was able to do miracles and great and mighty works for the benefit of others. So what do we say to these things? Well, what it makes me do is recognize the importance of being made righteous by his blood. It makes me aware of the place that's available for me and you and everybody else that's been born again to live before God, free from sin, free from the consequences of sin, free from the results of sin, free from the law of sin and death. And folks, I got to tell you, I believe that in the last days, the further and further we get, or the closer and closer we get into the last days until the end when Jesus comes back, I believe that one of the characteristics of the, of the church will be that we learn to stand in righteousness. We learn to, to accept what that is, what it means, what the Bible says about it, and operate in righteousness. I truly believe that. I don't believe that the church is going, I don't believe it would be a glorious church by God's definition for the church to be living in sin and doing miracles. How is that going to draw the sinner? How is that going to draw the unsaved? They're going to look at us, as many do already, look at the, the world looking at the church. They're going to look at us and say, well, they're not any different than I am. I can't explain the miracle that I just saw, but they're not any different than I am. They're not living any better way than I am. They don't have any greater place with God than I would have. But if they see us operating in righteousness, if they see us operating in righteousness, they'll want what we've got because it'll be a stark contrast to what they know they have. That has to be true. It has to be. One of the things that Peter preached in Acts chapter 3 after the man at the beautiful gate was healed and everybody came running together and part of his sermon to get the, the 5,000 people saved that day is he said, well, let me read it to you. I'll mess it up if I try to quote it. I'll, I'll leave part of it out. Let me turn here to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. He says, repent ye therefore and be converted. Born again, that's what he means. That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive, literally retain, until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Do you understand what he's saying? Do you understand what Peter's preaching? They did. They understood that the Messiah that they were looking to come had come and been crucified by both the Jews and the Romans. Jews representing Israel, Romans representing the Gentile world. He was a worthy sacrifice for both Jew and Gentile. He was a worthy sacrifice and, and, and both the Jews and the Gentiles leaders, Herod Pilate and so forth, were in complete agreement with his sacrifice. Pilate knew there's no reason for him to be sacrificed, but he was consenting to his death. So Pilate, acting on behalf of the Roman government, the Gentile world placed his stamp of approval just like the Jews and the Pharisees and the re religious leaders had for Jesus to die. So his death was approved by the representatives of both Jews and Gentiles. Now, Peter is telling them that the Messiah has come. He's gone back to the Father, but he's coming back. 
And he says there are two conditions that will be associated with Jesus coming back or the time leading up to Jesus coming back. And that is times of refreshing and times of restitution. God will restore certain things in the earth through the church before Jesus comes back. He will restore certain things. One of the things, the times of restitution has to be a restoration of the character and the nature of Jesus. I believe the time is coming where the church will gain enough knowledge or walk in a a greater degree of faith. I'm not sure exactly what it would take, but walk in a greater degree of faith so that his character becomes ours. And then I believe the second thing that's going to happen are the times of of refreshing that come from the Holy Ghost. That has to mean the same thing that the latter rain is talking about. That has to mean what James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. For the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. I believe that early and latter rain, which always refers to a move of the Holy Ghost, is the time of refreshing that he's talking about in Acts 3.19. So if that's true, then there are going to be two outstanding characteristics of the church, the body of Christ, as we lead up to the end. One, a restoration of the character and the nature of Jesus himself. We'll learn to walk in love or we'll decide to walk in love as Jesus intended for us always to do. And then those times of refreshing has got to be the miracle working power of God. Now we don't operate in greater character to earn the power of God. But because we love God so much, we begin to live up to the character and the nature that's within us as a gift of the Holy Ghost because we were born again so that the power of God can flow through clean channels. Clean channels. And I believe that'll be a part of the glory of God manifest in the earth. Sure is quiet in this Presbyterian church. That has to be true, folks. It has to be true. The Lord prompted me to start praying a couple of years ago for safe guides. Safe guides. The body of Christ doesn't just need people to guide us. We need safe guides that will lead us in the right way and will lead us in the right manner. Folks, what the Bible says about the glory of the Lord being seen on the earth and covering the earth like the waters cover the sea, that's really true. That's really going to be. That's really going to happen. The Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The greater one lives in you. What is he doing in there? He's there to strengthen you. He's there to help you. Rely on the help of the Holy Ghost in everything that you do. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. And Paul tells us specifically that all the promises of God are yes and amen. David didn't have a promise. 
that would cover that in the Old Testament, in his ex experience, the one time in his experience. But anything you've got a promise from God for, his answer is always yes and amen. We serve a good God. We serve a loving Heavenly Father. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.